the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Romans 16, 13 on this Mother's Day. Paul wrote this in 57 AD. It is 24 years after Simon of Cyrene has carried the cross of our Lord. It is 24 years after Jesus died and rose again. One year later he shall be in Rome. One year earlier this letter goes to Rome. He wants to prepare them for his coming. He wants to remind them the most important thing in this life is not the Roman Empire, it is not Caesar, it is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in Romans 16, verse 13, he says, I want you to greet a bunch of people for me. I want you to greet Rufus, that choice Christian. And I want you to greet his mother, for she was my mother as well. I spoke about Simon of Cyrene last week, the one who came to Jerusalem from northern Africa because he was a devout Jew. And it was the Passover, and he never missed the Passover. And he comes in from the country. There had no room in Jerusalem during the Feast of the Passover. I am betting that he had never heard about Jesus. He's too far away. I'm betting that he never heard about a miracle. He did not hear about Lazarus being raised from the dead. He was not one of the 30,000 welcoming Jesus into the city. And when he comes in from the country and he stands in that crowd and wants to go to the temple and he's interrupted because there's a great mass of people around and he looks out onto the road and there is some prisoner beaten to a pulp with a crown of thorns on his head and he's sitting there thinking, where did this come from? What is this all about? And while he's thinking those thoughts, Roman centurion grabs him by the shoulder, basically lifts him out of the crowd and throws him into the road and says to him, you carry the cross of this prisoner. Two weeks later he goes home, he has three options. He can say to his wife, it's the most humiliating experience I have ever had. I actually had to touch the cross of some criminal beaten half to death. I actually had to touch the cross. Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is anyone who hangs upon a cross. I had to touch the cross. I'll never go back to Jerusalem again. I'll need therapy for a long, long time. That was option number one. Option number two is not a big deal. Things happen in life. You know, I had to do that. Now let's get on with life. Option number three. Option number three. It changed his life 
forever. And it changed his family life forever. And we're going to go with option number three. Because the same Holy Spirit there was there on Mount Calvary, touching the heart of the thief on the cross, sending him from earth and perhaps hell up to heaven by the time the Holy Spirit did its work. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's talking about me. Jesus, forgive my sins. I believe in you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. If the Holy Spirit was there for the thief on the cross, if the Holy Spirit was there for the Roman centurion, what was I doing nailing this man to the cross six hours ago? Truly, this was a righteous man. And if he was there for Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus, who come out of the closet and say, we want the body of Christ. We want it. We want to bury him. If the Holy Spirit was there on Mount Calvary, why could he not have been there 30 minutes earlier on the Via Della Rosa when Simon of Cyrene grabs this cross, perhaps knowing nothing more about Jesus than did the thief on the cross? And by the time the Holy Spirit has invaded that man's heart, his life has changed. Unlike the thief on the cross, he has many more years left on this earth to be influenced for the kingdom. Did he go back home as soon as he carried that cross? Did he say, my goodness gracious, i got to go bathe. i got to get this man's blood off of me. I believe that Simon I. Cyrene stood there as they nailed this prisoner to the cross. I believe he stood there for six hours and watched Jesus die. And I believe he stayed in Jerusalem. And when Jesus rose from the dead, I believe Simon of Cyrene was one of the first to hear about it. You got the two disciples going to the road on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them the afternoon of that first Easter. And they're saying, you know, we thought he was going to be the one, and Jesus goes through 270 Old Testament prophecies and says to them, I am the one. Here's what the prophecies say about this prophet. And then when he gets to the house and they beg him to stay, and he breaks the bread. And I surmised a couple of weeks ago that maybe that night he spoke the same words he did on Monday, Thursday. Maybe that night he said, take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. Their eyes were opened. And they said, this is Jesus risen from the dead. And they run back into Jerusalem and they make that declaration. What did Simon of Cyrene do? He went back home. And what was his mission field? Many places. But the most important place was his own family. And he says to his wife, let me tell you about Jesus. And he says to his boys, Rufus and Alexander, let me tell you about Jesus. That's what happens. 24 years later, Simon of Cyrene, like Joseph, the husband of the Virgin Mary, they are no longer in the picture. Perhaps they're dead and in heaven. 
But she appears 24 years later. And as he writes to that church at Rome, he says, Greet Rufus. He's no longer in northern Africa, in Cyrene. He's there, down here in Rome. And greet his mother. She's down there in Rome as well. They are risking their life. You did not want to be a Christian in Rome. You might end up in the arena eaten by lions or set on fire. But they're there. Because dad came home 24 years earlier. And he shared with them the prophecies and he shared with them about Jesus. Mothers, you know in more than one language, the word mother means martyr. They are sacrificers. Sometimes they sacrifice consciously. Most of the time they sacrifice unconsciously. Their goals, their aspirations, their dreams, they get swallowed up in the arms of their children. I need but look at Rachel as she gazes upon Lucas and Miles and Laney and Cece. I need but look at her eyes as she gazes upon them. Sometimes her eyes are like the eyes of the moms in the video. What in the world is going on? I need to get away for five years. And there are other times those eyes just bleed with the love she has for them. And I look at Connie when she's around the grandchildren, and I look at her eyes and her demeanor. A mother is a sacrificer. Sometimes when they sacrifice, they sit and say it was well worth it. I'm driving yesterday and there's cars all over the place and I figure it's graduations going on already. The convention center in Tinley Park thousand cars there, I said, what's going on here? And I knew automatically, because it's May. You look at a mother at a graduation, there's no one in that audience beaming more broadly than she. And she is saying it was well worth it. And when she sees her child, who's had a difficult day, lying down at night asleep like some angel... She says it's well worth it. And when that child crawls not into dad's lap, but into mom's lap, and falls asleep in her arms, in her heart, she says it is well worth it. And then the other side of motherhood, the deeper side of that word, martyr, the deeper side of sacrifice, when everyone else has given up on that child, she has not. I've told you about Wichita, Kansas. I've told you about going to the prisons there the first year and a half of my ministry. And you have individuals, you have prisoners in that prison who have not had a visitor in five years or ten or fifteen years, except for one. Not a brother, not a sister, not some friends that got them in trouble in the first place, not even their dads. 
But you better believe mom comes. And sometimes she has to drive 500 miles. But when it's time for visitation, she is there. A mother is a sacrificer. There will never be a time on that earth that the child she bore for nine months that has etched itself in her heart, not just because of the physicality of being a mother, but because of the cords that a mother has that no one else ever shall. When you have in the Old Testament a mother's love being compared to God's love, you get pretty darn close. A mother is not only a sacrificer, she's a passer on of the faith. The Apostle Paul knew this when he said to Timothy, You are blessed to have the mother you had, Eunice. And you are blessed to have the grandmother you had, Lois. Because they passed on the faith to you, Timothy. And the faith you have in the Lord and Savior is the greatest power you ever have. Mothers pass on the faith. Last Mother's Day I talked about uh, Naomi who goes to Moab. Her husband says, we're not going to go there. I don't care if there's a famine in the land. I don't care if everyone's dying. We won't go to Moab because there's heathen gods there. And his wife says to him, are you out of your mind? Are you saying that our God can only exist in Bethlehem of Judea? Our God can exist in Moab. And dear hubby, if we actually take our God there, maybe other lives will be touched. And that's exactly what happens. She goes there and she practices the worship of Jehovah. And those around, including the two ladies that her sons will marry, they become part of that faith in Jehovah God. Henry Ward Beecher one of the greatest writers, preachers, philosophers the world has ever seen. There was a moment in his life when he was troubled by doubts, as most men are. And he paid this tribute to his mother who had passed away a year earlier. He said, you may put all the skeptical men that ever lived on the face of the earth on one side of me, and they may plead in my ears that God cannot exist, And you put all the scientists and stand them next to these men. And the scientists can marshal all the facts in the universe to disprove the truth of Emmanuel, God with us. And yet let me, Harriet Beecher Stowe, Henry Beecher, let me see my mother walking in a great trial, but reflecting the light of cheer and hope and patience and gentleness full of comfort for her husband and for her children. And that single instance of her suffering on her knees before God is more evidence to me of the existence of our Lord and Savior than any argument that the wisest men could possibly bring. A mother passes on the faith And when Simon of Cyrene was no longer in the picture, when he had passed away, she carried the torch, and Rufus and Alexander became leaders in the most dangerous church that existed at the time, 
right there in Rome. She passed on to faith. There was a senator in Washington, uh, and there was a session of the committee he was meeting with, and they were mocking and ridiculing Christians. Their emotional instability, their need for the crutch called Christianity, the fact that they were so old-fashioned, they needed to get with the times. And after a long period, they turned to their colleague who had been silent through it all, and they asked him for his thoughts. And he said, you know, gentlemen, my mother was a strong believer in Christ. And as I listen to you mock Christians, I think of my mother, and I'm embarrassed and ashamed at the words coming out of your mouth. I do not have as strong a faith as my mother does. But I pray, as she does every day, that the time might come that my faith matches hers. A mother carries on the faith. You look at great men and women, you want to know about their ancestors. When it comes to John the Baptist, we are told his mother and father were righteous before God. With regards to the other great giants in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, we know basically nothing about his ancestors. We know that he was raised in Jerusalem, that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, that his father was a Pharisee. In his letter to the Romans, he mentions six individuals who are relatives of his, But he mentions nothing about his mother. And the theologians wonder about her. Did she beam with pride when she gave birth to him? It's a male child. The role of the Pharisee can pass on to him. Did she weep a little bit when he left Tarsus and went off to Jerusalem to study under the great teacher Gamaliel? Did she tell everyone in Tarsus when her son graduated number one in his law class? And did she celebrate when her son became the number one destroyer of Christians? And did she turn pale and did she shudder and did she faint And did she say to her husband, we can no longer live here. He's put to shame our name. When she finds out her son is no longer the persecutor of Christians, but the one who advocates for them. We know nothing about his mother. We know everything about the wife of Simon of Cyrene. Not only did she teach her children... But when the Apostle Paul became ill on his first missionary journey, 14 years after the episode, or his second missionary journey, we know that she took him into her home and she nursed him back to health. Was it for months, perhaps? Was it for a year and a half, perhaps? Was it the thorn in the flesh she talked about? She nursed him back to health, and he never forgot it, and declares her to be 
his mother as well. Mel Chansey, you remember Mel Chansey? 30 years ago, Gold's Gym. Mel Chansey was that guy. His arms as big as an oak tree, tattoos from head to foot. The president of Hell's Angels. And when Mel Chansey and his buddies, Joe LaPuma and others, were in that gym, I stayed so far away from that corner. The language was brutal, as were the stories. But I guess it's a God thing, right? Always is. That particular day, I wandered over there to grab a weight, and this is the conversation I heard. One of his buddies, perhaps it was Joe, one of his buddies said to Mel, how in the world could your mother be such a saint? She goes to Mass five days out of seven. How could she be such a saint? And you turn out the way you did. And at that precise moment, I heard Mel say, I need to change. I need to be like my mother. I need to have her faith and her life. Why would God at that moment place me there to hear that? Steve Wallace in our congregation at that time went over and told Mel, he's talking about you in his sermons. (laughs) And I got to know Mel pretty well. Got to meet his mom and dad got to testify on his behalf at his trial. And after he came out of prison, he was a changed man. I hadn't heard from Mel in 15 years. It was three months after we started live streaming in March of 2020. And I get an email from Mel Chancy. And he says, Brother Paul, keep on preaching. I'm watching you every Sunday. Keep on preaching. He said, you preach and you tell them the greatest power on this earth is their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I need to change. I need to be like my mom. Closing word. Every baptism I've ever done, there are three vows mom and dad take. Vow number one, do you acknowledge the most important thing your child will ever have is a relationship with their Lord and Savior? And they say yes. Vow number two, will you set for them a Christian example in word and deed? Will you pray with and for your child on a daily basis? Will you teach them the doctrines of the Christian religion? And then there is a third vow. I say to them, do you claim God's covenant promises on your child's behalf? And then I explain what I mean. When you say you claim God's promises, you are saying two things. I believe God is real. And the second thing you are saying is this. They will need some time in their life the promises of God. They will not be perfect saints. God will not put an umbrella around them. There will come a time they need the promises of God. When they are frightened, 
the promise, do not be afraid, I'm with you. When they've committed some sin and they just can't get it out of their mind and heart, the promise is 700 times you are forgiven. When they lose a loved one on this earth, the promise, 153 times there's life after this life. Do you claim God's promises? And when they say yes, they are saying this, I will be the one who brings the promise to them. I, their mom, I, their dad, I will be the one to bring the promise to them. That's quite a vow to take on the day the child is baptized. I will be the one that nurtures them in the faith. 1,800 baptisms, I've been so blessed. In 44 years, 99% of them, babies or children, And that's the vows 1,800 mothers have taken for their child. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does every Christian need that? Yes. But where does it abide most importantly? Moms. When the babies are going berserk like in the video, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. My mom's in heaven five years now. Perhaps yours is. I pray the memories are blessed. And if your moms are still on this earth, Take a moment to do the impossible. Try and put yourself in their shoes. Heavenly Father, grandmothers on this earth, all across this world, grant them a visitation of your spirit, a strength beyond themselves, a love that needs no explanation. And in that role they play as mother, May their child understand the love that she has for them. May they understand the need to be kind to all others. And above all else, may they learn about Jesus from their moms and from their dads. In our Savior's name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.